Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Really, really good coaches. Um, really good people. You know, Coach Frost did a good job. I, I, I didn't know any of them I, uh, beforehand. And it's kind of been a really good fit. A really good fit. I just like the way those guys, each of us, and I, I like guys have their own style and bring it to the to the offense. And they brought some ideas, and we put things together. And uh, uh, but they're really good people, number one, and and uh, really do a good job of, of managing their group or understanding that way. And uh, really happy with the, the core. Welcome to the Gold Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Rob. Good evening, Redcasters. We are now about three weeks and, what, three days away from kickoff in Ireland. I, can you just sense the excitement in my voice? <laughs> That's crazy, Rob. Settle down. Yeah. Settle yeah. down. Uh, sorry. Uh, well, tonight we are joined by Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews. Uh, he's a Heisman voter, member of the All-American Committee, Football Writers Association of America. His college football preview has been named the most accurate Power 5 from 2012 to 2021, and his 2022 book is on sale now. You can find him at pick6previews.com and on Twitter at pick6previews. Welcome back to the Redcast, Brett. Hey, guys. <clears throat> Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate the intro there. And, uh, yeah, it's um... – it's the best time of year. We're able to talk, uh, preview the season. Everyone's undefeated. The optimism is high. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited to get this book published and released. It was the most hectic offseason that I've ever encountered after 11 years of doing pick six previews. Just the craziest coaching carousel we've ever seen. The most uh, player movement with the transfer portal and the no penalty transfers. So really excited to break it down for you guys. Yeah, well, and we've had none of that in Nebraska. This has been a normal offseason, no <laughs> movements. You know, the we barely touched the portal, and, and so that's all good. Um, yeah, we can't see you, Brett. Can you see us? Yep, I got you. Oh, shoot, I was going to make faces at you or something. Okay, no, <laughs> if, you, if you can see us, then we won't do any of that. Well, before we get to talking football, uh, first, uh, some upcoming shows and some of our promos here. Uh, on Monday, August 8th at uh, 8 p.m., we'll have Dave Fight at Fight Can Write, a Husker Max columnist. He'll be on the fan forum. Uh, after that, uh, promo code REDCAST for if you want to get Hale Varsity uh, $10 off the annual subscription there. So go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe. Uh, Rob, uh, Alumni Hall. Well, you know, as everybody, are all the uh, Redcasters, are you guys game ready? When you want to show your Nebraska pride, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for the best and largest selection of apparel for the whole family, Adidas champion. Columbia, an amazing college vault with vintage and throwback logos, plus gifts, accessories, and all of your Nebraska tailgating necessities. You can shop at alumnihall.com or visit our two locations, or their two locations, I should say, in downtown or in South Point Pavilion next to Barnes & Noble. And Nebraska students and faculty and military always receive a 10% off in-store discount, so you can earn cash back with your Hall Pass Rewards card as well. So Alumni Hall, where Huskers shop. 
also FSC Edge. Uh, Redcasters, if you're looking to make a, a career change, FSC Edge is the place for you. Check out their available jobs today at www.jobsatfsc.com. And last but not least, Smack and Smooch custom shirts and specialty items. Uh, check out the QR code here. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter at Smack and Smooch. Uh, tell Laura and and, uh, and Shane hi. And uh, I'm wearing my uh, Go Big Redcast stuff right here. I don't know about yeah, Rob, you're not. But uh, anyways. Oh. I'm wearing my uh, actually my shirt from Alumni Hall. From Alumni so, Hall, They're yeah, this is nice. one of the and it's great. It's quality, man. I wear it probably six days a week, so it's great. I love it. Very nice. Well, Redcasters, go out there support all those sponsors. Uh, we appreciate everything they do for us. All right, so back to the show here, Brett. Um, before we talk a little football, uh, you've now been on the Redcast a handful of times over the last three, four years. Um, but your story it never ceases to amaze me. What you've done here and. I want, you know, for the Redcasters, maybe they're new to Pick Six, haven't uh, heard you on the show before. Uh, can you kind of give them a little bit of a background on how Pick Six started? And, uh, you know, you've turned from being a passionate fan to doing all the things Heisman voter, et cetera, all the things you're doing now. Can you just take a couple moments to, to tell them the story of what Pick Six is? Yeah, well, thanks. And uh, this is one of my favorite stops on my preseason radio and podcast tour. You guys do excellent work and um, I'm, I'm tuning in throughout the season. So. Uh, the respect is mutual for sure. Um, yeah, Pick 6 Previews, I launched in 2012 as a college football preview website. Uh, tried to tried to put the same stuff that you see on magazines, uh, but online, and um, had great success with my accuracy, my prediction accuracy. Um, now the 10-year number one most accurate preview, and then now also the five-year, um, that's 2017 to 2021, according to Stassen.com, that's been grading these for decades. Uh, finally, in 2019, I put out a, an actual preview book. Um, you know, it was digital only, but it was a, it was a product and, uh, it really made the rounds in the media circles and, uh, was eventually awarded a Heisman trophy ballot. And, uh, that was just the ultimate honor of, you know, as, as a longtime college football fan and, um, and, and writers. So yeah, I got that in 2019. And then after the 2020 edition was added to the all American team, uh, committee or the selection committee for the FWAA. So, um, that's mm-hmm. also another great honor. I love doing that. Uh, the only national guys on there are me and Phil Steele. So we get to, we get to sit back while the conference experts really pitch their candidates and uh, we all decide. So really cool experience doing that. But, and then finally uh, to, to sum it up, here we are in 2022 after 10 years of digital only, I finally brought it to life with a paper copy magazine this year. So um, yeah, there's a picture right there of shipping day. It was pretty hectic, but um, really, really surreal to see it come to life. And um, the reception so far has been great uh, nationally. A lot of Nebraska media also tweeting about it. So, uh, thanks there. And, uh, and also a thanks to Nebraska fans at large, because, um, you know, I say this a lot, but I mean, it, it's one of the only fan bases out there that can really match my high passion for the game. I mean, you guys love it, even with a three and nine season and a, a bad, you know, a bad string of bad luck, uh, really still the, one of the most passionate out there. So uh, my hats are off to all the Huskers out there. Mm-hmm. How, how's that transition going to doing the print version too, not just doing the digital, but how's the magazine going for you? Yeah, it's uh, I think it's unlocked a different clientele. I mean, um, I think that and I'm, I'm in this category, too. I like to have the book in my hands. I like to hold it, I like to you know bring it to the beach or have it on the bedside table or the coffee table um, throughout the season. So, yeah, I think it's a different experience than just the PDF. Uh, that's also great if you're more into the iPads and technology. I'm not good with that stuff. So uh, I like <laughs> the, the paper copy. And I think that, um, you know, with with the paper copy purchase, you immediately get that digital PDF sent to your inbox, too. So you kind of get the best of both worlds while you wait for the, the magazine to come in in three days. So 
um, yeah, I think it's, it's unlocked a different customer base, but um, the excitement's been bigger, I think, this time around. Uh, fans, when they receive it, they're able to you know, tweet about it and take a picture of it and tweet out their, uh, their team's page and stuff like that. So uh, it's, mm-hmm. been a, it's been a great experience the last week. It's only been launched for a week, so we'll see how August treats us. Yeah. Well, as a member of the print media, I, I just want to thank you um, for supporting the fact that print media is still alive and well, and you're just proving it for me. So I'll just show this video to a lot of my clientele is being like, see, people still read print. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's something to be said about the college football preview product. I mean, this is not a new thing. This is going back since the 1950s. Uh, we had street, uh, street and Smith sporting news, putting out annuals and preseason magazines, um, you know, and uh, I just think there's something to it. It's, it's the best off season and the worst off season, however you look at it, but just the anticipation heading into a college football season, I think is unmatched. And this is uh, one, one little slice of that um, getting to get that, uh, get that preview book in your hands. Look how your team's forecasted. Look at how your rivals and your opponents are looking um, and then what to expect on a national level too. So yeah, thanks. I'm just happy to be a part of it. And um, the reception has been great so far. Mm-hmm. Well, Redcasters, as we go through this, we're going to be talking about, We'll start with some national stuff. We'll work our way back into Big Ten, uh, focusing mostly on the West, since that's uh, the division, obviously, that we're in. And we're going to finish focused on Nebraska. Uh, so get your questions, get your comments in uh, throughout. Rob's going to be checking that. Uh, you know, So do some interaction with us uh, by watching this live on YouTube. That's a, a great value of what we're doing with the live streaming. Um, before we get to talking about that nationally, I want to talk about some segments of the book that you have. And I've got some of the screenshots here. We're going to start with this one. This is I, I, every year I bring this up that we talked to you, Brett. It's the the Blue Blood programs, and uh, you do something special back in. It's usually is it January, February. I know it's early in the off season where you you send a bunch of polls out there, uh, just asking if a team's a blue blood or not. And why don't you kind of explain some of the uh, the results that we got this year? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of those off season topics that never goes away, and uh, you know I enjoy talking about it. Uh, but when I started to notice it's, it's a topic that really has no exact definition. I mean, uh, I pulled 170,000 fans and you probably get 170,000 different definitions of what a blue blood program really means. So uh, what I did was I put out a ton of yes, no simple questions is so-and-so school, a blue blood in college football. And uh, as you can see on the screen there, uh, this is consistent with the, the, all four years I've done this poll where it's the same top eight and that's uh, going through national titles. That's going through losing seasons and, uh, and everything in between, you see these same eight programs um, emerging. And um, now you see Texas this year took a hit. Um, it may be an inexact science because you do see some rival fan bases tweeting out the, the links. I saw a ton of <laughs> Oklahoma fans. They weren't spreading the Oklahoma poll. They were spreading the Texas one. But uh, uh-huh. still still with some fan interference, you could see a, a clear top eight. Usually it's even more clear than that uh, with all eight placing above 65%. But, um, yeah, I think it's a testament to the staying power of these eight brands in in college football that teams like um, Notre Dame, they haven't won a national title since the 80s. Michigan, they have the one shared title since 1950-something. So just the the, the staying power across generations, and uh, it's showing here again. Yeah, we know who they shared it with. Um, And looking at Michigan here, too, they went up to 76%. They they increased by 12% on a year where they went to the college football playoff in Nebraska. Increased by fourteen percent. Looks like we went three and nine. You know, it's it back to your original point about Nebraska and fans just being resilient and everything. I I think that's a, a perfect example of that too. But you know, for the Redcasters that are going to be listening to this tomorrow and don't see it, it's Alabama, Ohio State in this order: Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Michigan, USC, and Texas. Those eight fall above fifty percent. 
uh, for Blue Blood. And then below that were uh, Georgia, Penn State, LSU, Florida State, Florida, Miami, Clemson, Tennessee, Auburn, and Washington. I've always appreciated seeing Clemson down there, like the 27, 30%. That's where they are usually each year. And it's the idea of what a Blue Blood is, Brett, that it's it's not – it's not about who's the flavor of the month or who's just been good for the last few years. It really is. It's built more based off of long-term tradition. And obviously for Nebraska, that's one of the reasons we continue to make that, that list. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in terms of, yeah, where Clemson shines is a few pages later where I have the, the five-year game grader rankings. Mm-hmm. That's a, that shows you who's dominant nowadays, but uh, it's a whole different category that we're talking about. I agree with you. Um, it's something to be said about having, uh, championships and conference titles and, you know, long runs of success across generations, across different coaches. Um, so yeah, Nebraska certainly cemented into the, into the sports history uh, on multiple levels. So, and they've been able to overcome a, a pretty rough stretch here the last five years and still remain as a national brand. And um, mm-hmm. it's a testament, I think mostly to the fan base too, nowadays, keeping it going. And, uh, and you're seeing that pay exact dividends in this transfer portal era. Now I know it's all new and stuff, but, with the NIL game, the booster game, taking on even more importance around programs. I think a program like Nebraska is situated uh, pretty well, given the fan base. Yeah, the sport's definitely going to help. Now, some of the reasons that we've struggled these last five years, we can touch on here, is another area of your book, win conversions, player development. And I have these two uh, lists basically side by side. And win conversions, and and you base your book off of the Power Five, so the, the 66 teams, I guess, in the Power Five there. Uh, if you look at win conversion, Nebraska is number 65 out of that. If you look at player development, Nebraska is number 62. And specifically, I highlight if you look at, at other teams that are in the Big Ten West, in uh, win conversion, number three is Iowa. Uh, number 10 is Wisconsin. Number 12 is Minnesota. If you look at player development in your list, uh, Iowa is number one. And this is nationally. Number two is Wisconsin. Number four is Minnesota. Number nine is Purdue. So in the, we're in the same division where we're having teams that are very high in win conversion and player development, and Nebraska is struggling in those areas. Uh, Brett, can you kind of explain what those two things are, win conversion and player development are to the to the listeners? Yeah, sure. This is um, when we talk about recruiting, I know that that gets covered a lot nationally, and I think people just stop there. They see the signing day ranking and they stop there, and that's how they evaluate the teams every year. But, um, you know, that's important. That's the starting point. But something's got to happen those four years on campus. I mean, they have to be hitting the strength and conditioning program. Uh, they got to buy in. They got to, you know, player retention, keeping your players in-house, um, and then ha- actually having schemes that work on Saturdays. So this is a way to compare the, the raw recruiting rankings on signing day to actual outputs, um, you know, NFL draft output in, in terms of picks. Uh, win conversion looks at actual wins on the field. So it's kind of a comparative thing. So, yeah, it's kind of the schools you'd expect that are at the top of that. Iowa, they, they don't usually recruit in the top 40 or much less the top 25. But they're grinding out wins and, and they're putting a ton of players into the pros. Uh, same with Wisconsin. It's kind of intuitive. You can rattle off some in your head. And on the other side, you can rattle off some that have, you know, blown some of those high uh, signing classes that they continue to sign. And it's just not showing up on the field. I mean, Florida State is notorious for this. Texas recently, uh, the L.A. schools, they recruit high and don't do anything with it. And and sadly, in, on this show, Nebraska appears on both lists and Sure. Um, we can talk about re- specific reasons why. I mean, coaching changes don't help. Um, usually when you see a coaching change, you see an exodus of players. And so all, a lot of those blue chippers that you had signed are, are elsewhere now contributing or earning, you know, all conference status elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw a tweet a while back. This is maybe a couple cycles ago from one of the Nebraska media 
who went right through a whole recruiting class. So it was maybe the 17 or 18 class. And almost every single one of those guys was no longer in Lincoln. Um, and that's just a microcosm of, yeah, you, you got to sign them, but you got to retain them. And uh, Nebraska has struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Well, one the last one that I want to touch on uh, that's from the magazine is your game grader. And this has always intrigued me. And this is one that has Nebraska a little bit higher. We were 34th last year. Um, and I guess what's kind of always intrigued me about it is that it, it puts – metrics kind of behind a game you know when you look at the, it's not always just what the final score is and everyone knows nebraska's problems last year i mean how historically strange and on historic levels they were they, the only program ever in college football history to have nine losses by single digits to have eight losses by uh one score or less to have a positive point differential over the course of a season the the biggest point differential of any team ever and not that didn't go on to win more than 25% of their games ever. And there's only been like four teams in college football history, at least in the poll era that's done that. So there's some historical things that they did. They scored 239 points in, uh, in big 10 play and gave up 239 points, but went one and eight. So there's all these weird historical things. And, and these things where Husker fans can look at it and go, gosh, I, fe- I feel, I know we were better than three and nine. Look how close we played Ohio state and Michigan who ended up in the, the playoffs and all that. And yet, the game grader kind of helps put some kind of respect towards that. That when you see that we're listed here, I think it's at was it 34th. What does the game grader do? And how did 2021 come out for Nebraska in your game grader? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, with game grader, I, I guess I'll start with saying that I think it's important to have balance between the numbers and actually watching the games and understanding the schemes and talking to head coaches, talking to coordinators. So I try and, put it all in there uh, in my analysis, but on the analytics side, I needed a, a formula to really, um, you know, to really paint the picture of what happened on a, on that Saturday. Um, you know, I have four screens on every Saturday for 14 hours. I'm watching everything I can. Uh, and then on Sunday, watching some condensed games to, to catch up to, but, but still, when you see a score come across the ticker, you don't really know exactly what happened that day. I mean, you could see uh, ne- Nebraska 21 and, and Iowa 27 or whatever the final was and, and not really know what happened that day. So, what game grader does, it digs deeper than just the box score, d- deeper than just the final score. Um, it throws in a lot of my analytics, my metrics, yards per play differential. Um, what else? We got explosive plays in there, um, all kinds of stuff. And then what it does, eventually it, um, it adjusts it to opponent strength too because, you know, beating Akron 55 nothing's is a lot different than beating Wisconsin 55 nothing. So uh, mm-hmm. basically it's a way to, to statistically break down a season and adjust for opponent strength and get a number on these teams. Uh, it's also important for me to do because I'm the only guy here. I'm doing all 66 Power 5 teams. I'm going across division, across conference, trying to compare them all. So it kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it's a way to really look across leagues and get numbers on teams. So, yeah, Nebraska, I put this at the bottom of that page. I had to update who the example team was. Nebraska is now the example for the game grader page um, be- just because of how much of a statistical outlier this year was. Uh, you already touched on all the records. I don't have to rehash that, but um, pretty incredible that a three and nine team can still finish right at average uh, on the power five level. And, and I think also it, game grader, it, it always shocks me. Uh, the numbers kind of match up with what I see. I mean, when I watch Nebraska, yeah, I think they're a lot better than that three and nine team. And I think that, they are about average, if not higher, uh, when you look across the Power 5 landscape. So it's a way to, uh, you know, it, it's really helpful, predictive, forward-looking. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob, before we get into doing the segments uh, that we want to get into with the, the football, um, do we have anything right now? I see I see a bunch of comments. I don't know if any of them are questions or 
I mean, yeah, there are a few uh, questions, but like a couple of them, like Jim in Minnesota, I want to get to that later when we're talking about Nebraska, right? right. Um, somebody wanted to know if um, there were some questions about like the running back room and all that. And I'm not sure if that's stuff that, you know, we might touch on with Brett because, you know, we're maybe when we get to Nebraska, we can touch on some of that too, because we're looking more at like the conferences and just kind of the overall predictions on the season there. Um, somebody said, nationally speaking, is Texas back this year? Which I, of course, responded said, Texas is back every year, horns down. <laughs> but, um, you know, what about that, Brett? How, you know, let's talk a little bit of like the Big 12 slash SEC. How, how is Texas? No, no, no. I don't want to get into kidding. that. Yet. Oh, you don't no, want to no, get into that yet? Not okay, yet. Good. We're going to do national stuff. I just think okay. you had a specific question or not. But, oh, well, no, Rob, nothing... Texas, Texas and Nebraska, they seem to win the offseason national championship every, every year. Every so, single every year. year. Go the, Big the, Red, baby. The Kool Aid is flowing in Lincoln, and then uh, Texas is back. The, you know, the horns what, are what up. Did, what, bit, what do so. they have there? The smoking the brisket or something they like, do what horns they... up and then complaining about horns down that's their whole that's their <laughs> oh, whole okay deal. okay because i i'm fully on the kool-aid train that's <laughs> yeah. yeah smoking the brisket and yeah drinking the kool-aid and they're both we're both blue bloods so there you yeah, go there you go well let's let's go to segment one here and this is going to be playoff and national and, and we're, this is going to be very high level but for the playoff here you have alabama utah ohio state and georgia making it um, so I guess let's just start with that, Brett. What came to – how did you come to that conclusion? Those are the four teams. And, uh, yeah, so let's just start there. Yeah, so with the playoff this year, I really see three teams, three superpower teams heading into this year, especially a top two of Alabama and Ohio State, uh, Georgia being third there, uh, just on account of how much they lost to the NFL draft. But I think they reload enough. Uh, quickly with Alabama, they return the Heisman winner, Bryce Young, the best defender in the country with Will Anderson, five stars all over the place. And not to mention, they have some revenge uh, revenge tour with them uh, after losing to A&M on the field and in the recruiting game. I know tensions are high out there, so I think they're going to come mm-hmm. back as the number one team this year. Uh, number two, Ohio State. You guys saw the offense. Uh, it's the best offense in America. I think it'll be that way again. So much firepower at receiver and C.J. Stroud at quarterback. The, di- the difference this time around is I think they're improving their defense. Uh, they hired a great coordinator, Jim Knowles, and they have a lot of returning production, which is rare for a blue blood or I'm sorry, not a blue blood, like a, a recruiting powerhouse that's churning out guys of the pros every few years. Um, so a lot to like from Ohio State. Georgia, I mean, you saw them last year win it all with a historic defense. And, and I know people will complain about all the starters gone on defense. But if you watch them, they really share their snap count of, of, across a lot of defenders. It's not just a starting 11. They rotate a lot situationally. And so guys coming back, they might not be labeled, quote unquote, returning starters, but uh, they're veteran and they're next year's first rounders. I mean, they say, oh, you lost five first rounders. Well, there's five more first rounders, you know, suiting up on, on, on fall Saturdays for them. So Georgia three, it came down to a wide open fourth spot. I saw that every other magazine and publication out there penciled in Clemson. Uh, I, I'm shying away from Clemson this year for that. Uh, their offense was the worst in the ACC, according to my metrics last year. I watched their spring game. I don't see a quick fix at quarterback. DJU is still overthrowing guys skipping them in the dirt. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to trust that Clemson offense this year. Uh, I went with Utah. What, basically how I arrived at Utah was I needed a conference champion that will come out of there with uh, zero or one losses out of the ACC, Big 12, or Pac-12. And uh, it turns out that Utah was my best shot at it. Um, you know, they went toe-to-toe with Ohio State last year in the Rose Bowl. After making that quarterback change in week three, they were playing playoff caliber ball. And um, the, you know, the majority of the roster is back. It's a manageable slate. And I think they go 11 and one and make it. Mm-hmm. Now, 
uh, I, I'd be remiss, uh, Brad, if I didn't bring – Dave would, would kick me if I didn't say it. Last year you had North Carolina in there at number four. Is this – you know, is Utah – are they the sacrificial lamb? Or are they going to – or is this or is this a different uh, a different number four from a year ago? No, it's it's a good point. And for all the, the you know, the accuracy wins, uh, you got to own up to the losses. And I, I got to admit, UNC was probably my worst prediction in 10 years. I mean, that was a total flop. Um, it's funny. I still like the logic. If I could rewind to last August, I still liked it on, on paper. And when I said it, it made sense. The numbers showed it. Uh, and they just come out terrible. I mean, it was a terrible it, it, team last year. In fact, so, we have that clip right here. No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you, can, you can go fire it off. That's, that's all fair game. But, uh, no, but here's, here's how I try and rationalize it. The collateral damage was Clemson. I was the only ones without Clemson. So I guess we all tanked on the ACC pick last mm-hmm. year. But um, yeah, with Utah, I was close in 2019. I had Utah to make the playoff. Nobody else had that. And uh, if you remember heading into that last game, the Pac-12 title game, they were number five and a win would have sent them in. And they couldn't get it done in 19. Last year, they won the Pac-12 by smoking Oregon twice in a row. And um, no, so I think this one has a lot more historic backing than the UNC. UNC was kind of, uh, I, th- I thought, a rising star with a, a great young roster of blue chippers. Really no history behind it. Uh, Utah is kind of the inverse where, yeah, they don't have the recruiting stars, but it's such a proven staff and proven culture. They're defending conference champs. They show they've done it once. Um, I, I like them to do it this year. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now, Rob, this is pick, so. this is where, Rob, we can start to go through the, the conferences. And, and again, Brett, we're going to stay at a very high level here on the national stuff since we're a, a fairly local show here. But to, to go with the ACC, uh, you have North Carolina State first and Clemson second in the Atlantic. And in the Coastal, you have Miami and Pittsburgh. How do you kind of see the ACC going? Yeah, the ACC this year is the quarterback conference. It was hard when you, when you go through and do all conference teams to really whittle it down to just two guys. I mean, I, I could list off seven starters. Um, to win the conference, I have NC State, which is going way against the green. I think they're plus 9,000. Uh, I'm sorry, plus 900 at, uh, at, at the <laughs> Vegas books right now. Uh, huge underdogs behind Clemson. But uh, I really like their defense. They were top five in my metrics last year. They return a top 10 clip on defense. And Devin Leary, 30 touchdowns of five picks. Uh, they're my pick. Over in the Coastal is Miami. And this is one of those teams you hear every year. Is Miami back? Are they back? This, this time around, I think they are under Mario Cristobal. It's the right hire. And they're finally making the financial commitment, too, in facilities and recruiting. So uh, that's my ACC title matchup. And I think uh, NC State gets it done. NC State. All right. We move to the Big 12. And, uh, Rob, a team that we were talking about, uh, Nebraska's going to see him in week four. Uh, Oklahoma, you have them uh, on your top there, Baylor and Texas, uh, horns down, they're number three. So talk a little bit about the Big 12. Yeah, the Big 12 was a tough one. Um, you can make the case for all, all the top five over there, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State was in the mix last year. They were an inch mm-hmm. away from making the playoff. Um, Kansas State is a dark horse with a lot of veteran players, and Texas is really the variable team. I mean, they could, they could win the conference, and they could go also, they could go five and seven and lose to Kansas again. It's, it's very variable. Um, mm-hmm. I ultimately sided with Oklahoma, even in a coaching transition year. It's just when you go position by position, they're the most proven and the deepest and talented uh, in the conference. Baylor's close. I really like their offensive line and defensive line, but they lost a lot of the skill positions and lost seven starters off that D. So um, Oklahoma, it does seem like the safe pick, but uh, it, it makes sense. I like their coordinator hired Levy, too, on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about we get in this region? Uh, we do get some people talking about Iowa State a bit. You have them sixth last year. Obviously, there was a lot of hype and a lot of you know uh, early you know preseason predictions having them top ten and everything. You know wh- where do you see Matt Campbell in Iowa State? Well, I think that Iowa State's in for a transition year. 
And uh, I'll, I'll state that by also saying it's incredible how, how far Matt Campbell's improved Iowa State. Um, back when I started Pick 6 Previews a decade ago, uh, and those first five years or so, it was just chalk. You would just put Kansas 10th and Iowa State 9th, and that was it. You didn't have to bat an eye. They're just down there in the cellar. Uh, but, no, the, the way that he's turned them into a consistent player in the Big 12 is, is impressive. And, um, but I think they're in for a transition year. Last year, all the stars aligned with six-year seniors, fifth-year seniors, and um, all-conference guys, Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Everything was there, and they just came up short. So now with all that talent gone, um, I think they're in for a rebuild. Yeah. Rob, do you have anything to say about Texas before I move on? Nothing, nothing. I, th- I think I've already, I think I've already said what I had to say about Texas. So. You said, you said what you're going to say, and, and for all the viewers, you can see it. Um, Pac-12 uh, in the North, you have Oregon. Uh, Cristobal's left, but you still have them at first in the North with Washington right behind them. In the South, you have Utah, of course, who you end up having in the uh, the playoff, and then USC and UCLA. Men- should mention both of our future Big Ten brethren. Uh, you have them one, two, three in the South. So talk a little bit about the Pac-12. Yeah, so we hit on Utah. Uh, Over in the north, I think Oregon's the the clear favorite over there. And uh, even in a transition year, what's happened with Oregon is uh, they became the the number one recruiter on the West Coast over the five-year average for the the first time anyone's ever supplanted USC ever out there. So they have Mm -hmm. the recruits. They have the the blue-chip talent. And it's been developed pretty well under Cristobal. I know he's gone, but he leaves behind a top-notch offensive line, a a tough front seven, and all the skill guys to pick from. Bo Nix transfers in from Auburn. So they're the pick out there uh, in the South. Actually the Vegas favorite to not only win the South, but the conference is USC. I don't buy it. I think that's so much preseason hype. It's out of control. Um, now I will say that the traditional logic would be, okay, it'll take two or three years for a new coach to fix USC in this transfer portal era. Lincoln Riley has certainly accelerated that. Uh, it's mm-hmm. all at the receivers and skill positions though. I think you still got to block and tackle. And I, I just, they, they were so poor defensively last year. I don't see an overnight fix on defense. So enough to mm. contend and be close, but no way the, the overall favorite. Well, to your, to your point, too, about how much things can change from one season to the next with the portal, you know, here are your first team offense in Pac-12, and the quarterback's Caleb Williams at USC from Oklahoma. You have Jordan Addison, receiver, you know, first team from Pitt, you know, the transfer. So uh, USC Im- immediately, Lincoln Riley's been able to step in there and at least bring in some talent that – right off the start is going to be, uh, you know, tops in the, the conference. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they have a ton of offensive firepower. That, that goes without saying. It's proven guys. Um, but, I mean, still, they've, I don't think they've really lacked quarterback or receiver recently. That's just it. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they've had uh, Drake London was just picked, I think, in the first or second round. So I, I feel like the skill positions are never the problem for USC. It's can they block and tackle. And, and teams like Utah, teams like Oregon, they just out-physical them and, and run all over them. So, um, until I really see it from that defense, I'm not, I'm not really sold on Alex Grinch either, their coordinator. He struggled at Oklahoma with way more veteran players, way more blue chip, blue chip defenders than USC's roster currently has. So, um, yeah, I side with Utah, more proven product, and uh, they smoked them last year, and I think that continues. Hey, Redcasters, I know the economy's been tough, and are you looking for a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having a competitive, stable history of over 20 years? What is FSC Edge, a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies? 
expert services, helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. And they support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the United States and Europe. You can work with fun people with great attitudes, learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer facing. You can dress just like me right now in your Husker tank top and your Go Big Red Cast hat. And you can work in a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. Job also comes with excellent benefits. Go check out available jobs today at www.jobsandfsc.com. All right, and we finish up uh, with the SEC. Uh, in the West, you have Alabama first, A&M second. In the East, you have Georgia first, and then Tennessee second. Um, uh, it's interesting. I, I, uh, we always do a, or I do a Redcast road trip every summer where I go to different football stadiums and everything all around. And this year, uh, Tennessee got to do the, the full tour, got to see the the locker room, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, great facilities out there at Neyland. I'm I'm kind of secretly rooting for them. And plus, there's there's a little history with Nebraska and Tennessee, and almost a, a shared history of you know they've they had you know their highs in the 90s there, and then they've struggled some in the past uh, 10, 20 years too. So I'd like to see them kind of get back up there, but. Um, Alabama seems like a pretty safe bet. Georgia seems like a pretty safe bet. Is the SEC, I've said this a number of times, a lot of times they, they get talked about as being the top conference from top to bottom, but I've always felt it's pretty much at top. Is the depth better? I mean, is it are they, are they a deep conference? Or are they really a top-heavy conference? Well, I think it goes year to year. Um, I, I think it also gets lost just because they have Alabama at the top. It makes it seem like it's Alabama and nothing just because mm-hmm. there's a huge gap. I mean, it's a superpower, probably the all-time dynasty in the sport that we've ever seen um, over the last decade and a half. So I think that yeah. makes it look like that. But no, I mean, I think the SEC West is the deepest division in the country. It was tough to put anybody down in fifth or sixth or seventh. Um, you know, teams like LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, they could probably push to contend for some other Power 5 divisions outright. It's just so crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it looks like they're, they've, they've made some great coaching hires that are still a year or two away from clicking. Shane Beamer, South Carolina. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is bringing all-time high recruits at Missouri. So I think even like that bottom tier, middle tier is improving. So I, I'd still stick with them as the, the deepest conference. I know it, it pains the listeners to hear this, but, uh, you know, they bring in the most recruits. Uh, they develop them enough to get the most NFL draft picks every year since 05. And, uh, and they win the national stage whenever they play. So the SEC to me still is the deepest. I, I do have one question about one SEC team, and I and I don't want to get too specific, but I see a lot of people picking, saying that Arkansas could kind of shock a lot of people this year. What's your what's your view on them? Yeah, so uh, I thought that I had them really high coming in. I have them third in the West, and then it turns out that's kind of consensus. So uh, that's uh, I, keep, I keep my blinders on until I hit publish. So I, I'm always shocked to see how everyone else arrives at their conclusions. But yeah, I think everyone else is pretty high on Arkansas too. I think it's for real. Um, and I was down there at a game in Fayetteville in 2019, and it was just, it, it was pretty depressing. Auburn put up 55 points on them. The town was empty, but I remember thinking and talking to fans, thinking they deserve better. And it happened a lot quicker than I thought with Sam Pittman. Uh, great personality. He made great coordinator hires with Barry Odom on defense, Kendall Browse on offense. But really, what shifted was it's no longer a rebuild, it's, it's a destination point. I mean, you're seeing top 10 recruiting class and top 10 transfer class. Everyone wants to be there now. And, um, I think the hype's legit. It's, it's a top offensive line. K.J. Jefferson's tough at quarterback and, um, and a lot of skill talent, too. So, yeah, they're a solid choice for the top 15 nationally. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to, to segment two here, and this is where we're going to go over the Big Ten. 
And we're going to start with the Big Ten East first. And, and again, we'll kind of do this at a, a higher level than what we'll do with the Big Ten West. But uh, I'm, we're looking at the graphic here. You have Ohio State first, Michigan second, Penn State third, Michigan State fourth, uh, Maryland fifth, Indiana sixth, and Rutgers in seventh. So, uh, Brett, kind of go through that, I guess, start from top to bottom. And, and what are you seeing going on in the East this year? Yeah, so, I, you know, this is a great top four. When we talk uh, deep divisions, this top four is, is really strong. It always is. It's the same top four as usual. It's Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. And in that order, I've got it. Um, Ohio State, I touched on at the top. Um, incredible offense, improving defense. Michigan at number two. I think they have some staying power here. They're not going to fall off uh, after their surprise playoff run last year. It was the number one most improved defense year over year last year. I think the wrong uh, Michigan coordinator won the Broyles Award, honestly. It was given to Josh Gaddis on offense. Should have been McDonald on defense. But, um, yeah, but they bring back uh, their, whole, their whole offensive lines back, and they were top ten in both my run push and my pass pro. Uh, so a lot to like from Michigan at number two. And then it became a battle for third for me uh, between Penn State and Michigan State, and I've seen this flip-flop both ways. I went with Penn State. Um, they have a, a, you know, a really strong recruiting profile. Um, they just signed the number six class in the country, actually, and it really targeted some key spots they were missing on. Uh, their run game really struggled last year. They go out and sign the number one running back in the country. Um, Sean Clifford is back. We, we know what we have with him um, at Penn State, but they were really close in a lot of games. They're the Nebraska of the East in terms of one-score losses. You go look at their, go look at their output last year. It's incredible. Uh, so they're better than they showed. Uh, Michigan State, great transfer experiment two cycles ago. It paid off big time. They were the surprise team last year, but I see them coming back down to earth. Uh, a lot of fluky wins when you dig into it, and Nebraska fans are, are familiar with one of those uh, if you had punted <laughs> to the right side of the field. Um, but then, uh, yeah, and then from there, there's a huge gap. And uh, the three down there, Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers. Uh, Maryland, a great offense. The other two are, are rebuilding. Yeah, I mean, from as a Husker fan, the thing that sticks out to me here is when I think of the schedule that we had last year, I see our crossovers were three of the top four teams, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State a year ago. And this year it's Michigan, and then it's Indiana and Rutgers. So for Husker fans, especially, I mean, if you're the really hardened realist that, you know, doesn't how you can't see how – Vegas has us at seven and a half uh, wins. How can we be that much better? I don't know that we have to be that much better. Just solely off of the schedule changes alone can can certainly add a couple of wins, assuming that Nebraska doesn't kick the ball the wrong side of the field and do some of the things that they did last year. Yeah, and uh, Nebraska's been unfortunate in being locked into a cross-division rivalry, a protected game with Ohio State for the past decade. I mean, uh, of course, that's two great programs facing off, but in terms of win-loss, I mean, that's just totally unfair when you have some guys locked in with Rutgers. So, finally, mm-hmm. Nebraska gets a schedule boost. Uh, yeah, Michigan will be very tough, but from there you get two of the bottom three, and uh, that, that'll pay dividends. That was one of the key factors, actually, in deciding a very tight middle of the pack in the West. We'll get to that next, but uh, schedule goes a long way. I see four teams over there that are pretty much even, it looks like. Uh, there's pros and cons to each, but the schedule boost finally goes Nebraska's way. Mm-hmm. Rob, what do you uh, do? You have any questions or any thoughts on the the Big Ten East? Does anybody else uh, any of the comments that have come in? No, I mean on that. I I with Michigan and Ohio State at the top there. That's obvious. I, it was an interesting comment that you made about Penn State being the Nebraska of of the East because um, I think what did they have they had eight one score losses. I think that was the number of it. That that I think that's what I read on there. 
or something, or were they six and six? Or I, I'm trying. Yeah, to it was. Uh, I think they had five one score losses. Five one score. Um, that's what it was. Sorry. But really, I mean that that goes well. Yeah, Nebraska with eight is an all time record. That's we won't yeah. be matching that hopefully was, anytime yeah. soon. But um, yeah, Penn State with five close games, and 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 really sum it up with this: their season, they were number two in the country heading into Iowa, and they were mm-hmm. leading seventeen nothing, and you know seemingly going to win the game. And uh, the quarterback gets knocked out. Jack Campbell yep. lights up Sean Clifford. They collapse from there in game. They lose, and then they lose out from there. So, um, you know, not to say that that changed their whole season, but uh, they were better than that record showed. And they're kind of the inverse of Michigan State. Michigan State had a lot of fluky close wins. And uh, actually, I think Penn State was graded higher in game grader despite a 7-6 and six compared to an 11-win Michigan State. So it's not mm-hmm. the only thing I look at, but it certainly is something to look at. It's funny because I don't hear a lot of people say that about Michigan State either, though, is that um, with with Michigan State, there's a lot of people that are still pretty high on them and saying, oh, they're the team to keep an eye on in that division. And, you know, you don't sound very high on them at all. And, you know, I understand your reasoning behind it. So, yeah, when you look at uh, Michigan State, they were down all the way at 25th in my game grader, uh, despite an 11 win and uh, and power five. Or I'm sorry, New Year's six bowl win. Uh, they they lose Kenneth Walker, the, the Doak Walker Award. He single-handedly changed that offense. The year before that, they had to have a single running back with a rushing touchdown. Think of how statistically improbable that is. Mm-hmm. And then he comes in and scores five in the opener and goes crazy all season. So without Walker, uh, their pass defense was also one of the worst in the country. And most of that talent is gone that they did have. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm selling Michigan State slightly. I still have them ranked 23rd, but in the battle for third place, I side with Penn State. I did notice when we were talking about the player development that Michigan State was 60th. You know, and so is that over a course of a number of years, or is that are we talking about a one-year thing there with the player development when Michigan State's listed 60th? Yeah, so I got to look up the exact years, but they're mostly five-year windows. Okay. So what that's capturing specifically for Michigan State is, well, let me go a cycle before that. It used to be that D'Antonio was taking two stars and turning them into All-Americans. Uh, that was mm-hmm. the peak. So they back if I had done this metric back in 2013, they'd probably be number one. Um, but then what happened was they elevated their recruiting rankings. They were getting all these mm-hmm. blue chippers, and it just didn't work. It was actually the inverse where great recruiting, lack of output. So that's probably – you're still seeing some effects of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, some of these metrics I do use, it's going to be hard to keep them going because of the transfer portal. Like Michigan State, as I'm talking out loud, uh, so much of their roster wasn't recruited per se by, Nebraska, uh, by Michigan State out of high school. So I don't know how that's going to throw off the metrics, but yeah. I'll, I'll look into that as we evolve in this transfer portal era. You know, Brett, we talked with Coach Osborne back in, in May, and we talked about the current state of college football, about NIL and transfer portals and things like that. And he specifically highlighted one of the challenges of coaching today would be with the portal and how you basically have unrestricted free agency, how teams can just – you can just lose a bunch of guys and gain a bunch of guys. And he highlighted Michigan State as one of those examples is, you know, look at what that – transfer portal did to Michigan State a year ago and how how they could have such a, a year-to-year positive turnaround because of it. Um, other teams, if you don't hit on the right guys or if you lose the wrong guys, uh, obviously you can take a nosedive pretty quick too. Nebraska fans right now, and maybe this is uh, we, we can start to adjust to the West, but um, Nebraska fans, we, we hope that we had the offseason like Michigan State had a year ago, that the, the transfer portal is going to be nice to us and, and we made the right moves and we're going to see the immediate results of that on the field yeah well there's a lot of excitement with that transfer class and uh i think it ranked seventh nationally and um you know that's important too because it used to be in the big 10 west that nebraska distanced itself uh way ahead in the the recruiting rankings and the five-year average it was nebraska was an ace recruiter 
and no one else was even in the top 40. But that whole ball game is shifting where you see all-time highs from Wisconsin, from Iowa. P.J. Fleck has signed a bunch of great classes in a row. Jeff Brom stacking top 25s at Purdue is unheard of. So I think you're seeing the rest of the division catch up in the recruiting game out of high school. So it's crucial then for Nebraska to, to, to stay ahead and, uh, and sign a top 10 class. And it really targeted some key spots. I mean, I don't know if you want to go into the Nebraska preview now, but uh, high level, it targeted a quarterback, which definitely needed a transition after uh, Adrian Martinez departed. So, um, but yeah, so in this division, uh, Wisconsin was my clear pick. It's just, they're, they're such a proven product. Um, they seem to grow as a team after that fourth game. They, uh, once they found Braylon Allen at running back and Graham Mertz started taking care of the ball, they rounded into a solid offense and um, they are just the, the, you know, the proven product of the West. They have the formula down. From there, it was wide open for second. We'll get into it, but, I mean, you can make the case for the next four listed on that graphic there. Nebraska, yeah, so here, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue. Yeah, so here's the graphic. Wisconsin, number one. So we're looking at the Big Ten West now. Wisconsin, number one. Nebraska, number two. Uh, Iowa and Minnesota, a tie for three. Purdue, fifth. Illinois, sixth. Northwestern, who Nebraska kicks the season off against an Ireland uh, later this month at seventh. And – uh, as you said, Brett, basically from two to five, from Nebraska to Purdue there, you said it's a pretty close group of four. How far of a drop-off is are those four, do you think, from Wisconsin? Is it, is it a big drop-off or is it a, a fairly sh- small one? I think it's pretty sizable. Um, now, I mean, I, I guess you could just say that it's wide open for all five of them to win the league. If a couple things go wrong for Wisconsin, if they come out like they were in September, that, that team's not winning a conference or a division. So. Um, I just kind of am going off some history there with Wisconsin. I really like that, how their run game evolved finally, like the, the team we used to always know from Wisconsin. Um, that You saw that against Nebraska, I believe, another 200-yard output. Mm-hmm. Um, the defense does lose a lot of starters to the pros, but he's got uh, – Jim Leonard, that is, has a great track record, just as much as Phil Parker in this division in building defenses. So, yeah, those are the, they're a proven product. I know I keep saying it, but it's true. Um, then from there, yeah, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue – um, some other preseason preview magazines out there, uh, they rely too heavily on the tie. You see like half the conference is tied. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I'd try and, you know, make a claim and stick to it. But um, in a case where it's a four team you know, log jam, I, I had to side with a, a two team tie there in the middle. So I basically said, which team has the highest ceiling out of the four? I'd say Nebraska, which one has the, the most likely floor that'd be Purdue and then tie mm-hmm. the two in the middle with Iowa, Minnesota. But, uh, we can dig any any of those teams there, but that's it's a crowded division and also a division that doesn't get enough credit nationally. I see it ragged on day in and day out on Twitter. It's just mm-hmm. laughable. I mean, these are these are solid, strong programs. You see it in every Outback Bowl and, and Florida Bowl where you know the the SEC team is favored by two touchdowns, and then in Iowa goes and smokes them. So um, I don't know. Just a little little plug there for the Big Ten West. I think it's under respected. And last but not least, Rob, uh, Alumni Hall, two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120 P Street and South Point Pavilions, 2910 Pine Lake Road. That's right behind the Barnes & Noble. And a uh, whole bunch of good uh, Husker get, gear there. Go get yourself some there. Yeah. yeah certain... I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Honky. Yeah, I, was, I was just going to say that um, you were saying if Wisconsin comes out like they did last September, and then they've got problems. But I'm looking at their schedule right now. And it goes Illinois State, which is an FCS school, Washington State, New Mexico State. Then they play Ohio State this uh, in week four. And then Illinois and Northwestern. So, I mean, realistically speaking, Wisconsin could could come out of the gates at five and zero or five and five and one, six and zero, if they can play Ohio State well or whatever. Which I actually don't think that they will beat Ohio State. But I mean, that's a you know, and then they go to then they play Michigan State and Purdue. I mean, and so 
realistically looking at it, I can, I can understand why you have Wisconsin and you say that there's that separation. Cause they kind of have, I, I don't want to say it's an easy schedule cause it's a big 10 and they could always drop, you know, one or two of those games, but overall looking at it, it doesn't seem like they have the toughest beginning of the schedule. Yeah. And, um, and to put it uh, numerically, they had the largest in season improvement. So when you look at the first half, the first six games versus the last seven, uh, they had the biggest jump, the biggest improvement in season uh, in my game grader formula. And you saw that. I mean, they mm-hmm. opened one and three, their worst start in like 20 years or something. Uh, and then they, they closed strong and uh, closed looking like the, the Wisconsin we know. So um, mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I think they're back. They call themselves the grit factory on defense and um, great coordinator. One of the best in the game with Leonard. Yeah. yeah. Was, that, was that too, was, was that where Paul Chris, did he take the reins back over on offense, like in season, mid season last year? I believe so. I know they have a new play caller uh, coming in, uh, Bobby Ingram, the former receiver. So oh. trying to, uh, and it's it's crazy to think of Wisconsin in this sense, but trying to modernize the passing game. That's the language <laughs> we hear out of them. Uh, it's mm. probably coach speak, but still have, have an NFL vet calling the calling the you know calling the places. We know we, we know a little something about that over here yeah. in Nebraska. So yeah, yeah. Well, when talking about um, the schedule two, and I see number two, you have Nebraska three tied for three, but the the top end of it, Iowa. Um, when you think just purely schedule, Iowa this year plays Ohio State and Michigan, so the top two teams in the East. Nebraska plays, as we said earlier, Indiana and Rutgers, the, the bottom two. So obviously schedules get you know brought into when we start talking about you know rankings and where where teams go into. And so Nebraska again, that whether you know some Husker fans, depending on what the Husker fan is, there's going to be the optimist one that's going to love seeing this or even say, hey, we should be first, right? And then there's going to be the realist one that's going to sit there and say, how in the world can you have Nebraska second in the in the uh, in the West? But the reality is, is that just solely off of schedule alone, Nebraska, as you mentioned earlier, we finally get that benefit at least on paper going into the season. I never want to say a team's who knows this could be the year Rutgers is great for some reason. Last year, I think Michigan State coming into the season, Michigan State was ranked very low in the in the East, and they were going to be you know a favorable game for us to play. And then they they turned out being ranked by the time we played them. But but on paper right now, at least um, we look like we have a favorable uh, schedule. Yeah, I agree. That was one of the factors when you look at it. Um, missing Ohio State's huge, and. Um... And yeah, so I mean, and even like uh, to, to some of the more pessimistic out there for Nebraska fans, um, think of how close they were against some of these teams that, mm-hmm. that you're saying should be above them. I mean, Iowa, you led 21 to six, and uh, you know, and you go from there it was a punt block touchdown, a safety, a lot of junk. Uh, you would have won that game, and that seems to be the script with Iowa the last couple of years. I mean, Nebraska yep. plays them really well. They played Wisconsin really well too. They, I mean, I'd say that under Frost, they played Wisconsin better than they did under Polini, which is. Uh, hard to believe, uh, given the, the win-loss record overall. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the Nebraska pick, but I guess looking at Iowa, uh, I feel like we know what we have with Iowa. It's kind of the same story year in and year out. And, um, you know, what you have is a proven, fundamentally sound defense. They, they force turnovers more than anybody, and they keep Iowa in every game. You have special teams that continue to flip the field. That's a strength. But yeah. then holding the program back from a higher ceiling is the offense, uh, specifically the quarterback position. And in this transfer portal era, it's hard to believe this is the third straight year of the same quarterback battle between Peters and Padilla, uh, yet here we are. Um, and when you look at Spencer Peters, when the play breaks down uh, and when he's, when he's pressured or when the first read is covered, he becomes statistically the worst in the conference, and that's mm-hmm. going to hold them back. They also lose Tyler Lindenbaum, their ace, uh, their, their anchor in the middle at center. So um, mm-hmm. 
you know, we, we know what we have with Iowa, and I think that Nebraska has a more variable outcome and a more, you know, higher ceiling potentially. Mm-hmm. How about Minnesota here? Um, obviously, they lost a lot on the offensive line, but they have kind of also built a, you know, a little bit of a pipeline there where they just go and replace it. Uh, where are we at with Minnesota uh, heading into the season with PJ Fleck? Yeah, I'll tell you, I had a chance to interview PJ Fleck. It was a very interesting discussion. I, you know, I, I got to respect <laughs> how unique he is, and he owns it. He, he admits that, hey, my personality, my style, it isn't for everybody. And uh, but for the 85 guys that we do sign and eventually commit to play, it, it works for them. And it's hard to hard to prove it otherwise. The win loss record, uh, the way that they surged in 2019, um, and again last year, even through some injuries, uh, turned out a nine win season. So uh, my hats off to him. Uh, yeah, what you have with Minnesota last year, they were so run heavy. It was the the three service academies and them in terms of fewest passes attempt uh, attempted. So what they're doing, they're shifting their offense around. They're bringing Kurt Sriracha back who was actually the coordinator on that 19 team, uh, bringing mm. him back. It's going to open up the offense a bit more. You still have Tanner Morgan. You still have an All-American, Mo Ibrahim, and a running back, and Chris Altman Bell, receiver. But you're right. It's the line is going through a transition. Can they replace four starters? We'll see. That's a big question mark, as well as their defensive line, a question mark. But um, it's a strong enough program the last couple of years that uh, they have some staying power uh, you know, to keep them in the middle tier at least. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading a, an article tonight in the Omaha World Herald, and it was Sam McEwen, he ranked the toughest games that Nebraska is going to play this year. And number two on the season he had was Purdue. And we play him at Purdue, so that can factor in, obviously, where we're playing the game at. Uh, that's who you have number five here. Uh, Purdue, we did um, – we're going we're to get to this when we get to the Nebraska part. We did our polls that we do, our annual uh, preseason game-by-game poll. And Purdue was one that uh, it was closer than most uh, – for uh, by Nebraska fans, so there's there must be there's some respect there. Or there's some uh, thoughts that uh, the Boilermakers uh, that can be a, a dangerous game for Nebraska out there in West Lafayette. Yeah, well, I guess I think Nebraska fans are sick of seeing David Bell and Rondell Moore run all over them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is an aerial assault, and it's it's a proven product under Jeff Brom. Um, and I, I have a lot of respect for them. I have them in my top forty. I think that they could scare anybody on any given Saturday. Um, but I think specifically to this upcoming year, they lose a lot of their star players. I mean, George Karloftis, All-American defensive end, he's gone. Um, Alexander, their do-it-all uh, linebacker, he's also gone. He led the team in tackles a couple years in a row. So star power gone on defense. And then on offense, the receiver core got hit pretty hard. David Bell was a, an All-American as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even their second guy, I think Milton Wright, was suspended for the year. And uh, Jackson, uh, Jackson Anthrop, I believe his name is, he was a six-year guy. So their top three receivers are gone, and um, the run game was non-existent. And that's by design. I actually talked to Jeff Brom. He says, well, why would I start running the ball? I mean, why would I change what works? They're throwing the ball 50 times a game. It's working. Um, players love playing in that offense, too. He specifically said he's won recruits because of that, that style. Um, but all that to say, you know, I'm, getting off, I'm getting off track here, but um, <laughs> it's a great passing attack. That's proven. But uh, there's no run game to, to complement it, and the defense loses its two star players. I, mm-hmm. I secretly think that Brett has a crush on Purdue. I, <laughs> I mean, like he won't I, hey, say I, it. He's he's very he's very like analytical about it all and everything. But man, there was like kind of like a little like I could see the stars in your voice. I'll tell you, I, I do love their helmets. I'll put it that way. I love those train track alternates, man. It doesn't mm-hmm. get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, part of the Redcast road trip I took over the summer, uh, uh, my family loves me. I drive them hours out of the way to go see football stadiums. And um, we made it up to West Lafayette. That's the last Big Ten stadium I had not seen yet. 
and made it out there, walked around in there. And they've got the train tracks that come right up to the field where the, the team walks out on the field, like on train tracks or, you know, <laughs> painted on the, on the ground. It, there's things about college football like that. I just love, I love little traditions like that, that uh, each place has. Um, number six you had was Illinois, the team that we started off the season last year against. We really needed a win and uh, didn't start the season off well against Illinois. Right, Illinois going into season two. Um, what do you see out of the Illini? Well, I finally moved Illinois out of last place. Uh, that was a team <laughs> that you could usually pencil in for last place in the West. Um, but there's a lot to like from them. A, a power run game that's, that's kind of fitting for Brett Bielema, given his, his history, his schemes in the past. They ran all over Penn State. I think they ran for 300-something yards and, and won that uh, nine-overtime crazy game. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to like there. Big offensive line, good run game. Uh, they bring in a power five transfer, Tommy DeVito, who, who used to start at Syracuse. So that, that helps there a little bit at quarterback. And the defense really surged. Uh, you know, from the first four, looking at September and August, compared to the back half of the year, they surged on defense. Um, we'll see if they can continue that. Not enough to, to contend in this middle tier I was talking about. There's a sizable mm-hmm. gap from Purdue down to Illinois, but uh, I'd still put them above Northwestern. And and that brings up number seven. And this is this is for Redcasters are interested to hear this too. Uh, this is the team that we're going to be kicking off the season against in Ireland at the end of the month, three weeks and three days from today, as as uh, Rob started off the show with uh, Northwestern. They're you know preseason number seven, and you know, but they they are an up and down program it seems like from year to year one year they go three and nine the next year they go nine and three right and and i guess the optimistic husker looks at this and says hey that's a game that you know we can definitely win we beat them 56 to 7 last year we're more talented than blah blah yada yada all that stuff and then the the pessimist looks at it and goes geez you know i i northwestern can just as soon go out and go nine and three this year this could be their turnaround year you have them ranked seventh i'm, I'm envisioning that you're not thinking they're a nine and three or eight and four kind of team this year so what are we looking at with the wildcats Right. Um, a ton of respect for Coach Fitzgerald. Um, but yeah, it's been first place to worst, then back to first, then back to worst. I, I don't see that roller coaster continuing. Um, the difference being that 2019 team that went three and nine, they were close in a lot of games. They battled mm-hmm. hard, had some injuries, and you, you could kind of see an improvement. Now, I didn't forecast a, a division title, but you could see a return to bowl season. I don't see that this time around. This team was blown out almost every week. Uh, one of the worst in game graders, 62nd out of 66. Uh, really not many points. I mean, uh, if you have the book open or if you're, you're following online there um, on my stat boxes, you can see red is bad. You know, bottom 10, bottom 40, it's dark red and, and light red. It's all red on their page. Uh, it's just, it was a bad year. And I don't really see an overnight fix. They lost their coordinator, 50-year coaching vet at Hankwitz. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, quarterback has been a revolving door ever since Peyton Ramsey. Uh, really just no, nothing uh, notable that, that, that I see changing this. So, um it- I had them in last. Is there anything to the, you know, their defense took a huge step back last year, as you mentioned, that the coordinator was gone. And that is something that there are certain programs in Iowa and and, uh, Wisconsin and Northwestern that would have a lot of stability. Nebraska has been, you know, hiring and firing coaches, it seems like, over the the last decade, and that hasn't helped us. Northwestern loses a defensive coordinator. They struggled uh, the, the year after that on that defense side of the ball. Do you see them making – is there a, a, an improvement you think that they're going to make in year two of the new de- defensive coordinator, or is this just – is this a, as much a talent issue as anything? Or, you know, it, can you can you envision some kind of improvement that that we're going to see? Because Nebraska fans are basing this off of last year, hey, we beat them 56-7. Are we going to beat them 56-7 again? Well, I, I like a minus nine and a half, that's for sure. Okay. Um, 
when I saw the, the games of the year come out, the lines, the really early lines, that's one that I hope people locked in, the Nebraska minus nine and a half. Mm-hmm. I think it's already up to 13 and a half, maybe even 14. It's, it's surging for Nebraska. I hope you got in on that early. That was, uh, that was a good one. Um, but, no, I, I don't really see an overnight fix. They're not going to bounce back to, to the, top of the you know, top of the Big Ten like they were in 2020. Um, I think what was, was special about Coach Hankowitz was that they were excellent in the money downs and the money situations red zone, fourth downs, third downs, uh, stuff like that, staying ahead of the chains, that all that went away last year. And, and I, I saw rumors, too, they're trying to switch up the scheme late in the game, late in the offseason, going from four-man to three-man. It just sounds like a mess. I'd stay away from Northwestern. Okay. So along those lines, I actually have some questions, and, and it's about coaching changes. Uh, Boomer asked us to ask this, and um, then and I have a second part to it, so bear with me while I do this. Um First of all, Boomer apologizes he wasn't able to make it tonight. He had some family commitments, but he wanted us to ask um, for for preseason magazines like yourself. Um, when you go about analyzing mm-hmm. a team, how much uh, stake goes into something like Nebraska, where we flipped a large portion of our offensive staff, we bring in a ton of top tier talent from the transfer portal? Um, you know, do you look at that and evaluate that sort of thing? And then, like, you know, what? And then my part of that is, uh, how do you use that to factor them into your rankings? And when you think about that sort of thing, well, that's a great question. And, and shout out to Boomer, uh, miss talking to you. Hopefully, you're on the next time I'm on. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said at the top, I mean, I'm a competitive guy. I'm being compared against the other magazine companies, and um, I try and take any info I can. I mean, I'm looking at my analytics is one thing, but then also the spring games. I'm watching something like 55 spring games talking to head coaches, talking to coordinators, trying to find out what, what they're trying to install X's and O's wise, and then digging into the player personnel position by position. So every case is different. I mean, it all factors in. And uh, in some ways, it weighs more. Uh, like for, for Nebraska, for example, the transfer portal was huge uh, because of targeted quarterback. I mean, if, if Martinez was leaving, that was a huge vacancy that needed to be filled. And um, I know that uh, Smothers looked okay against Iowa. It looked fast. But uh, to bring in proven products, the Big 12's passing leader, and another four-star with Purdy, um, that's huge. So you got to go position by position, and, and that's why this is a seven-month product uh, project, I should say. Because um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I try. I, I, I'm competitive. I want to find every angle I can. So follow up to that question is as far as like, do you use any of those players? Like Thompson was had. I think he threw for the most touchdowns last year. Mathis was just a beast on the defensive side of the ball. Do you factor in their production with returning production for teams like Nebraska? Like, you know, I'm just yeah, using you consider, you consider that returning production for us when it's coming from another team and another conference. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. Asking, and, and it's actually a no. And that's why, I mean, some of these metrics like the recruiting rankings and specifically, yeah, returning production, uh, you got to look at it with a grain of salt. You got to see, OK, why is that? Why does that look low this year? And then you see, oh, they have five uh, power five transfers coming in that weren't here last year. So uh, there's some technicalities with it. That's why you got to look all encompassing. Um, same thing with recruiting. I mean, you could, you could see a team that recruited well, but they lost a lot of transfers and those guys that we thought were five stars coming back are now playing for different schools. So, um, yeah, all encompassing, um, they're not factored in the production number, but they're, they're heavily discussed in the text. I mean, you see Mathis made my all big 10 team. Um, Casey, uh, Casey Thompson, I did not make the all conference team, but you know, I had a great shout out. We'll talk about him next. Uh, but yeah, Mathis, that's another thing. I'm one of the latest books out there, and uh, that's a blessing and a curse. I mean, I missed the first wave of May and June when people were l- looking to get their magazines, but those ones have been sitting on newsstands since April. They don't have any of the post-spring transfers in there. The, pa- the power ratings aren't adjusted. The unit ranks aren't adjusted. So 
I'm probably the only one that has O'Shawn Mathis on my all big 10 team for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's, so let's, let me make that point then to all the red casters who might be listening to this as a later, at a later date on our podcast, when we turn this into that, just to be clear, you have them at second in the West without factoring in that type of returning production. Yes. Well, in the returning production stat, like you'll see that in on the graph there. Yeah. That yeah. they're not Mathis and Robinson yeah. aren't in the returning production number, but when I evaluate teams, it goes much deeper than just the returning production number. That's a factor, okay, okay. much like uh, you know recruiting rank, and then also the win development. You know everything else uh, factors in. But um, yeah, that, those two those two names were huge in putting them above the Iowa Minnesota pack. Um, yeah. You know, a defensive line that looked like it was going to lose you know several starters and key contributors now looks like a strength all of a sudden because you bring in three Power Five transfers, one being Mathis, who I think he won All Big Twelve three times, at least twice. So, yeah, it might have been a different conference, but you're bringing in a serious prospect there. Yeah, the D-line, I mean, you have Nelson here as, as a linebacker, and he's technically the edge, which he could be an outside linebacker. He can also be a hand-in-the-turf defensive end. And so, all of a sudden, two guys from Nebraska uh, you have listed that could be first-team All-Big Ten, that could be defensive line. Um, you know, that's uh, for, for an area that was of concern just a few months ago. I mean, that's uh, they've, they've certainly made a, a big improvement there getting – bringing in Mathis and also Wynn and, and Drew from uh, Texas Tech, who just looks like he's going to be getting to, to Lincoln like today or tomorrow, finally. So he's the, the last piece of the puzzle that's actually going to get here. Well, let's let's move on then, and let's actually get to Nebraska in the preview here. Uh, you have us number two in the Big Ten West overall, number 30 overall in the country. Um, you know, there's been it's been a crazy offseason. We've talked about that already. Um, we did, I want to show a couple of tweets here. We did our annual preseason tradition, uh, which is we go game by game through the season, do polls on it. Right. As of right now, last I saw, we don't get the hundred thousand plus votes, all that, that you got with the, uh, with the, um, blue bloods, but we had 18,000 votes so far. Um, in red casters, you can still vote on this, I think through the end of the week, but going game by game, uh, basically, you know, we had Nebraska going 11 and one game by game and the here are the percentages to win let me just go through this and by the way when i say we this is redcasters going in voting on games on a game by game status so northwestern we have a 94.5 percent chance to win north dakota 97 percent chance to win georgia southern 98 percent oklahoma 59 percent chance to win indiana 95 percent rutgers 92 percent purdue 67 percent illinois 93 percent minnesota 73 percent michigan a 31 percent we're going to lose. So 69% to Michigan, a 54% chance to win against Wisconsin, 78% against Wisconsin, uh, against Iowa. And yeah, I guess I can show those here, but the point behind this is that this is something I, I love you Husker nation. This is, we do this every year, but um, you can talk to, to a reasonable Husker fan. I, I don't care if they're optimistic or realistic, whatever. And they might sit there and go, yeah, we'll go seven and five, or we'll go eight and four, or whatever. But when you actually present the games in front of them on a game by game game status, all of a sudden all that goes away. And I mean, it's it's not that we're gonna barely beat these teams. It's 90% we're gonna win. You know, you know, Oklahoma was a 59% one. When I mentioned Purdue was a close one, we, we have a 67% chance, according to uh to the respondents, that we're gonna beat Purdue, 73% against Minnesota and Wisconsin's a, a, almost 50-50. We're 54% there, but you know, geez, Iowa, we're at 78% to beat them. We haven't beat them in seven years, but 78%. <laughs> you know, so that's where Redcasters are right now when you go on game by game, 
Brett. So uh, I don't, I don't know. I, let's t- you know, let's start talking about the season there for Nebraska. What do you, what are you seeing? Well, I like, uh, I like the poll there. That's interesting because um, <clears throat> it sounds like Husker nation has them at 11 and one. Um, if you go mm-hmm. game by game like that. Uh, but when I put out that they were going to finish second in the West, I got a lot of hate, maybe not hate, <laughs> but just uh, they were just questioning, you know, how could you do that and, and, and why? So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but it's funny when you go game by game, you can start to see that, yeah, this could become a special season or at least a bounce back, definitely in a bowl season and then beyond for Nebraska. Um, and uh, to those that read the, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. To those that read the book, it was a tough intro to write. I, I read an intro for each team and, and the Nebraska one was really tough. It was just going over all the old bad luck that's happened here the last two decades. And um, I mean, you're talking about the fumble in the snow, Terrence Nunn in 06, the eight turnover game against Iowa State in 09, uh, the Texas game. I don't want to say any more about that before people yeah. log off. Um, and then that 16 penalty flag fest in Cal- uh, College Station 2010. I mean, that's just the 20, the 2000s decade. Um, but what I was getting at in that is it's been such bad luck for over you know, almost 20 years now. And it's not just me saying it. When you look at turnovers, um, no one has turned the ball over more in America than Nebraska the last 18 years since the Callahan era started. So, I mean, and usually those things tend to even out year to year, um, especially with fumbles, but not here. Um, Taylor Martinez led the country twice in a row with fumbles. Adrian did it once in his career. Uh, it's just been such an unlucky run. I, I don't know what else to say about it, but really 2021 was the pinnacle of that because it took it to whole new levels going with uh, an NCAA record eight one score losses. Um, you just watch this team week in and week out, and, and it just they, they always amaze finding new ways to lose. But, you, you know, all that to say, they were so close. Stuff mm-hmm. like this. They were 0-14, 0 out of 14 on game winning or game tying drives at the end of the game. I mean, that's just – I don't know how to, what to say about it. It's just so statistically improbable. Um, so, you know, you, you move forward in 2022, and uh, a lot of the concerns have been addressed. Uh, the, the turnover problem at quarterback you think will be fixed. Now, I have a ton of respect for Adrian Martinez. I think he was a warrior, the way that he fought through injuries and, and criticisms and such. Um, you know, electric athlete with the ball in his hands, uh, but really a, a turnover machine at the same time. So uh, you bring in Casey Thompson. He led the, the Big 12 in touchdowns, uh, passing, also a much better turnover margin. So I think you have an, uh, an improvement or at least a difference there. You lose some foot speed and some, some zone read and option game, but maybe pick up better passing. Um, and then real quick at, at punter, I, I rarely talk special teams, but um, you have to with Nebraska, the way that some of these games were lost, the Michigan State punt, uh, a 10-yard putt against Ohio State, but they bring in an FCS punter of the year. So uh, I don't know anything about punting really, but that sounds pretty good to me as an overnight fix. Yeah, the uh, the Ray Guy Award winning FCS punter of the year last year, yeah, coming in here and, and uh, it's so inconsistent. You go from – having two punters kicking against uh, Michigan state. Cause one of them kicks a 11 yard shank. And then the other one comes in and kicks it to the wrong side of the field. Then we turn around the next week, play Northwestern and the punter goes and kicks it for 84 yards. It's just, you, you had no idea what you're going to get from one week to the next and special teams across the board. We've talked about Iowa last three games against Iowa, which have all been one score losses, but the last three games, there's been a kickoff return for a touchdown, a blocked punt, and then a, a fumbled punt two years ago. So it's just, you know, we can't get out of our own way there. So so the, the positive side is that there were changes that needed to be made. And last year in October, as the season was getting down to being three and six, three and seven, three and eight, um, there's a lot of discussion, you know, which, you know, do we start everything over? Is Trev going to get rid of, you know, Scott, all that kind of talk. And what I think we got is a, is a really – 
sensible kind of middle of the ground thing that happened. We didn't completely flip everything, but we did flip. Look, two of the three coordinators are new. We have a new offensive coordinator, special teams, Bill Bush being in special teams here. We've, we've used the, uh, the transfer portal now to bring in new, two new kickers, you know, new deep snapper, a new punter. We have a, a kickoff returner and punt returner from LSU, uh, Trey Palmer, that's had a touchdown doing each of those at a division one level already. So some guys that have some demonstrated success. I mean, that's at least one way that you can we can hopefully do the Michigan State model from a year ago and get this thing flipped quick. Yeah, I mean, special teams alone will flip some game results. They would have last year. They would have over the last five years. It's it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. that that has continued to be a problem. But uh, the old adage, it can't get any worse. Uh, I, I think that applies here. Um, but there's <laughs> some strengths. There's really some strengths here, too, to, to talk about. I mean, the defensive front seven especially – um, and, and the transfer portal certainly helped on the defensive line. You were set to lose uh, Ben Stilley and Damian Daniels, but uh, it looked like a potential weakness or thin spot. Instead, now three power fives coming in. We touched on that. Uh, Garrett Nelson, watched him in the spring game again. He looks like a, a black shirt of old with all that intensity, all that high energy. Mm-hmm. You, got, you need that on the defense. Uh, that will encourage and spark other guys. I think a, a dark horse contender is Caleb Tanner at edge. Um, he's got, he, looks, he looks the part. He has the big frame. And um, I think with a lot more resources being applied to uh, Nelson and Mathis, maybe he can shine in some situations. So, um, mm-hmm. and then the pair of backers, uh, Reimer and Henrik, are really productive guys. They combined for over 200 last year. So I really like the front seven. Um, that's a strength, uh, you know, a, a point of strength. The running backs, I think, are really deep. Um, we'll see if somebody can emerge or if they're going to go committee. I mean, you have a, a little bit of everything. You have Ramir Johnson, the speedster from North Jersey. Uh, uh, Yant is the big guy, 250 pounder. I think he slimmed down a bit, but still the, yeah, the he's physical. looking good. He's yeah. f- physically, he's looking the best shape that we've had him here for sure. Uh huh. Yeah. You get the speed and then the size from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had the spring game star, Anthony Grant, Gabe Irvin. Don't forget about him. He was the star early last year before the injury. So um, yeah, plenty of options there. Now in terms of concerns, the offensive line is still holding back this offense and really holding back this team. Uh, I thought by year four under Frost, under this new strength and conditioning program, that they'd be far advanced from where they are now. They were below average in both my run push and my uh, pass protection metrics. So, and I think that if you watched their games, you would you would agree with that. That's a, a point of concern. And that was with Adrian Martinez, who was a magician a lot of times, getting away from pressure. So, oh sure. One of the things that I've heard, like some of the local media guys say on on some of the radio shows and podcasts that I'm listening to um, about the offensive line this year, they're saying that they've kind of made that turn in regards to strength and conditioning, where now they're looking at guys who are on the offensive line and not thinking to themselves like, oh, that's an offensive lineman, right? Like they could easily be a defensive, they could easily be like a defensive lineman or a linebacker or what, you know, it's just basically their, their size and their build, like they aren't carrying the weight, you know, their strengths and their weight are being carried in places like their legs and their upper body, as opposed to like in the, in the, in their midsection, uh, which is, you know, kind of like a traditional offensive lineman look, but that Nebraska's offensive linemen aren't looking like that. And I don't know if you've heard anything like that as well, or seen anything like that, but it seems to be one of the consensuses about the offensive line so far this year. Um, Yeah. I haven't heard that, but I mean, that's, that's certainly possible. And, uh, you know, you guys are more in tune with the day to day for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that would be great news. I think just overall, you got to have improvement there. Um, especially with a less mobile quarterback. I know that Casey Thompson's still elusive enough, but he's not a speedster like Martinez. So, uh, that pass protection becomes that much more important and you lose an NFL or two in Cam Jurgens. So 
Uh, mm-hmm. This unit's got to step up. I mean, here we are. It's year five. And we talked a couple times ago, a couple years ago, about how poor the, the strength and conditioning program was, the weight training under Riley. So I gave them an extra year to Mulligan, uh, this new staff. But it's year five, man. you got to have a, an above-average offensive line in the Big Ten. Yeah. And, if um, you look um, – Oh, well, you, was, yeah, good. Well, if you look at the unit ranks that you have, you have um, at quarterback for Nebraska, you have in the Big Ten, you have uh, quarterback fourth. So there's a good example of how the transfer portal has immediately improved for us. Uh, we lose Martinez, but by bringing in Purdy and, and Thompson, obviously you give us fourth. That's that's the second best uh, in the West. Um, you have us at ninth and running back, ninth at wide receiver and tight end, and you have us at 11th on the offensive line. And I think that's completely fair. I think the thing with offensive line that really has struck out to me in the last couple of years, it hasn't even been the physicality, to be quite honest with you. It's been the mistakes and the, really the mental mistakes. We came out against Oklahoma and had two penalties before the first snap even was made. I mean, we were first and 20 because of two pre-snap penalties, both on the offensive line. By the end of the first drive, we had four offensive line penalties. By the end of the game, I think we had seven or eight against Oklahoma. You can't ever get ahead of yourself there. Against Northwestern in 2020, the COVID year, uh, we had five offensive linemen each have a penalty on them in the first half as much as anything that was as damning to me as anything about the o-line play um even more so than the physicality or lack thereof now having said that um one of the changes that has happened with the style i guess bringing in donovan Riola as the uh the the line coach and he's a former wisconsin uh, lineman and uh, was in the pros there with the bears uh coaching there last year um that there's a more aggressive style. And this is kind of maybe more of the shift from zone to, to man blocking, gap blocking, but it's going to be a more aggressive style of blocking. And what will be interesting to me, and this is the guy I'm going to keep my ear on is, uh, is Ben Hart. And I've, I've mentioned him a couple of times. Ben Hart's the six foot nine army, all American top 100, you know, recruit from four years ago. He's had two years of big 10 experience. He's also been one of those guys making those penalties and falling out of favor with the, the coaching staff in the past. But if he can get back into that right tackle spot and take over that spot and really solidify it. And we start to actually see him play to that potential. It opens up Corcoran, another top 100 lineman from three years ago to be able to swing in between any one of the guard center guard spots. And then at left tackle Prohaska, who is coming off an injury, but by all means, it looks like he's, he's getting back with the health and it looks like he's going to be ready to go this season. He's another top 100 offensive lineman. There's, there's talent there. I just said top 100 for a lot of guys. There's a lot of talent on that O line, but, I would have told you the same thing a year ago and two years ago too. So it, it needs, it, it's got new eyes. This isn't going to be this, you know, that we're trying to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. They've made a lot of changes, you know, from the head coach or from the offensive coordinator down to the, to the O-line coach, but it's got to, it's got to work and they got to cut the mistakes. The biggest thing is they got to cut those mistakes out. Yeah. I mean, uh, the first couple of seasons under Frost, I remember watching and, um, a lot of times like linemen were downfield or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, I understood that that was a new offensive scheme and there was some nuances with it that they weren't used to. So I took that with a grain of salt, but to see the mental mistakes still continuing the holdings and, uh, and I'm sure Nebraska fans are aware you never get holdings the other way called against the, your opponent. <laughs> so you got to be especially sharp on offense. Um, yep. uh, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, and, and really to bring it back full circle, you hit on it there, three top 100 guys, and that's been that's been true for Nebraska. They recruit really well, best in the division. But you got to develop them. Where is that? Where has that development been? And hopefully, mm-hmm. this new set of eyes, like you said, will will get them up to near their potential. Because uh, not many lines in the conference have three top 100 guys on the starting line. So that should be enough to be one of the best in the conference, given a normal development track. So 
we'll see. I mean, the potential's there. The firepower is certainly there uh, in the front seven and a quarterback. Um, but uh, I think they have the highest ceiling of those four we touched on. Um, and uh, we'll see a schedule boost. And I, I also, I was on, um, I think it was the ticket in 93.7. Um, I made this analogy. I think it might have missed, but I'll do it again. Um, with Nebraska and the turnover luck, it's kind of like you're, uh, you're playing roulette and you put your money on red every time. And for 20 straight times, it comes out black. And you're like, I just know it's got to be red finally. It's got to go my way finally. Um, and it's still a 50-50 chance. But you just think with the turnovers, after 20 years of this, it's got to just finally bounce back Nebraska's way. Um, you, but you, I could have said that last year too. Like you, said. <laughs> you said that with Derek Peterson. I was uh, actually, I re-listened to that, to that segment again today. It was Derek Peterson on the Hale varsity right, uh, okay. podcast, which is also a part of the herd at media network. So our listeners should give that a listen as well. Cause you do sure. get on some good points there. Oh, by the way, while we're on it, a huge shout out to the overall Nebraska media apparatus, if you will. I mean, no other, no other football program out there has this kind of media coverage. I mean, talking podcasts, you guys are premier in that space. Um, you know, the radio guys, Damon Benning and Gary Sharp, I'm on every Friday with them in the fall. Uh, mm-hmm. Just excellent stuff. I mean, the, the ticket guys, uh, 93.7, uh, Hail Varsity as a, as a magazine, as, you know, as the podcasters and radio guys. I mean, I can go on on Twitter has the Husk guys. It's a great mm-hmm. Twitter account. Great, great dudes running that account. Um, I mean, and just the overall fan army, too. So um, I said it at the top, I'll say it again. Just my hats are off to Nebraska football in general, just the passion around it. Uh, because it's one of the only ones out there that can really match my level of passion for uh, for our historic sport. So, uh, well, let me get through the, the the defensive units real quick, and then I know we have questions now. And you mentioned Jim in Minnesota had one, uh, Rob. So I want to get to those. Let's get through the rest of these de- these unit ones. So uh, D line, you had a sixth linebacker, fourth, in, and this is in the conference out uh, of the fourteen teams. And then DBs, you have us at ninth. And what's interesting, you, you know, with the D line and the linebacker. I, I, you've mentioned front seven, Brad, a couple of times. And I think that's almost the best way to rank this team right now, because we're going to start intermixing guys is, is, uh, you know, does O'Shawn Mathis count against your line or is he a right. linebacker? Is, is Nelson, you know, linebacker or line? I don't even know if it matters right now. It's going to be front seven and, um, and Caleb Tanner is going to be in there. And Shenander defensive coordinator Shenander talked about how t- they're expecting times where they can get maybe all three of Tanner and O'Shawn Mathis and Nelson on the field at once. And, We've gotten some extra depth, uh, you know, up front with the uglies there with a win that came here from uh, Alabama. Drew just got here from Texas Tech. Obviously, Ty Robinson's back, Nash Hutmacher. So, I mean, there's a we do have some depth that uh, where I think there was concern a few months ago that we were going to be light on the line. I don't see that now, especially with this move to the four three and bringing some of those outside linebackers up. I, I actually can see some 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 added depth just by moving guys around a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's becoming harder to do the unit ranks, especially on defense, given how uh, how variable the schemes are across the across the country. Three fours, four threes. You have guys that do both. They're edge. Uh, they're called edge now. You have some that are called mm-hmm. defensive ends. Some are outside back. It's a mess. I might I might take your word on that and just combine it next year and just have front seven and secondary as the two categories. But um, but yeah, there's like I said, uh, this is a point of emphasis for Nebraska, a point of strength, um, I should say, uh, as the defensive front seven. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a difference in a lot of games. And, um, and really the defense as a whole hasn't been the problem um, the last couple of years. It's been fine. And then last year above average. Um, so it's just a matter of having uh, the offense take care of the ball and then continue the progress that has been laid out on defense. I think you're bringing in some key players at key spots. And the secondary loses some stars and some multi-year starters. But, uh, mm-hmm. again, back to the blue chip recruiting. I mean, you have four stars and five stars everywhere. 
uh, back there. So it's a matter of can you can this new uh, you know, defensive staff. Well, it's not. Sorry, offense is new. Uh, can can these guys continue to develop the defense because they've been fine the last couple of years? Sure. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, when you were ranking the, the West, you hated having a tie with um, Minnesota and Iowa. I hate doing the or, and I'm showing our depth chart <laughs> here. I hate doing an or, but I just I had to at the edge with with Oshawn and Caleb. I just I just couldn't you know make that decision right now yet. So, but um, anyways. Yeah, that front seven, we're looking pretty good. We've got that nick position now, the nickel spot, which uh, Chris Kolarvik, uh, who played linebacker uh, last season uh, right now, and that's JoJo Doman's old position. Uh, he's listed up there kind of right now as being first, but also Isaac Gifford behind him. And then that defensive backfield, and you have us ninth, and I think that's a fair spot for us right now, especially considering we're losing three out of four starters from last year. And, and the three starters are guys that started for a long time. Having said that, some of the talent that's coming in here, well, we have Quentin Newsom back. He's going to be one of the leaders on the team. Went to uh, Chicago with uh, or to Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days uh, with the team. Tommy Hill, the transfer from uh, Arizona State, there's there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, hype or whatever you want to call it right now surrounding him. But uh, um, I think there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of good things that he's going to be able to do. And then Braxton Clark coming back also at corner. Uh, so there's some depth there. Miles Farmer, who's uh, seems like the only time he gets on the field, he catches interceptions, but uh, he's got a, a kind of a front line to one of the safety spots along with Marquise Buford. So, um, yeah, there's there's going to be depth. There's there's going to be competition there, but uh, uh, I think at least coming into the season, ninth in the Big Ten for the secondary is is fair. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's probably a mix of potential. Really, is what I'm going off there. It could be higher if the, if the potential plays up to their their star ratings. Um, I mean, Tommy Hill, former four-star Tyreek Johnson, a five-star from Ohio state. He's somewhere in there, I think, um, unless he transferred again, but uh, Kane Williams, a four-star from Bama and, uh, and an FCS All-American Omar Brown. So there's some firepower there. And Nola uh, Pola Gates. I remember he was a Polynesian bowl four-star mm-hmm. uh, who else miles farmer got a lot of playing time last year. So there's definitely pieces there. It's just an uncertainty in terms of who the starting lineup is and, and uh, if those guys can play to their potential. But I trust the staff on that side. Well, I want to show one more thing here, and then, Rob, I want to get to the questions, okay? This is a, a video from Whipple, about a minute long, and it's him talking about game one and red zone and scoring in the red zone and, and turning and getting the turnovers, lessening the turnovers, right? And those are all issues we talked about. When I brought up the Illinois game from last year, how important that first game of the season was, and Illinois, it set us up badly, well, he talks about Whipple talks about how the first games at any level of football are lost more often than they're won. They're lost, not won in the first game because of mistakes, right? Well, here he is talking about this first game and what he expects to see out of the QBs. We were all right, not great. Didn't turn the ball over. That's the big thing. You know, that's the focus always the first time in the red zone because everything's constricted. And uh, I told him really today was just play it like it's first quarter in Northwestern. We get down and we want to get points on the board. Yeah, I want a touchdown all the time, but if it's not there, just be smart and uh, get rid of it. And we got a good kicker and we want to get points on the board. Well, I take care of the football. I, I think first games at any level of football are, are lost more than they're won. So take care of the football. Understand we got a good team. We got a good defense. We got a good kicking game. And uh, it doesn't have to all come on you. So and we got good running backs. So. Just a good mix and leadership, and making sure that guys are in and out of the, in and out of the huddle or up on the line and understand the signal. So that that part, as coaches, and I'm probably one to 
we try to do maybe do too much, but I've been around it in the first game. Is and you may see some things. We want to make sure those guys are comfortable. And a lot of the guys, quarterbacks especially, will say, "Yeah, I feel good about that. I feel good about that." So the honesty factor with me on the play calling comes down to making sure they know when. Hey, there's no hesitation. You know what to do with the ball, where it's going, and those things. So that's where we'll be a little tighter come the game plan. Brett. How important is game one for Nebraska three weeks, three days from now in Ireland? How important is that Northwestern game that we have to come back with a victory? Well, it's critical. And I sound like a broken record. I said the same about the Illinois game last year. Um, but I think that Husker fans would agree that one, that too was critical. This one especially, um, it's again week zero. It's again the national spotlight game. Everyone in America is going to be watching this. I mean – um, it's the only power five versus power five game on week zero. It's the, the first one. It's I think a noon or 1130 kickoff or something. Um, so it's, it's huge eyeballs on this one and it's going to set the tone, uh, from Nebraska's point of view, hopefully, I guess, uh, for a huge start to the season. Oklahoma is a hurdle, but if you look at it, uh, there's a lot of W's to be had in the first eight games and a, a loss would just be so deflating. Um, given all the changes made the transfer portal, we talked about the optimism, um, just this being a, like an extra challenge year for Scott Frost um, to lose that opener against a, a projected consensus last place team in the division would be really deflating. So got to have it. I think they'll be fine. I, I, like I said, I'd like that nine and a half spread when it came out. I loved it. I still like it at uh, 12 and a half or whatever it is, but it's going in my, in our direction uh, if you bet that early. So um, yeah, you got to have that W there's, there's no way around it. It's a must win. Just clicking on a couple things here. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was. I just wanted to the. I want to add to that because I tweeted this out earlier today, and and one of the things that he was talking about was the red zone and finishing in the red zone. And so many Husker fans are worried about uh, the run game this year, and that Whipple's not going to throw the ball. And I think I even saw one big Twitter account for the Huskers um, tweet out like making fun, saying that you know Whipple would rather draw twenty five in Uno than actually like run the ball, right? And like. They had Pitt last year had 26 rushing touchdowns, and I believe that every single one of them was in the red zone. Um, You know, so he's not afraid to run the ball, and he ran the ball like 48 or 49 percent of the plays for Pitt last year. It's just a lot of times they were running the ball at the end of the game too in in junk time. I'll I'll give him that. But he also had one of the top quarterbacks and one of the top wide receivers. So you know what? If we have one of the top quarterbacks and one of the top wide receivers in all of college football this year, and we're throwing the ball more than we're running the ball, you're not going to hear me complain. And I doubt you'll be hearing a lot of Husker fans complain. So I just, I just want to put that out there. Yeah. I put this question out there uh, from Dom 7691, Brett, who do you, who do you see taking lead out of the running back room? And will Nebraska have a thousand yard back in the Whipple offense? Well, that's two great questions. Uh, first, the thousand yard back. I don't see that happening. Um, he was quoted as such saying uh, it's not just a one A, one B. It's a one A, one B, one C, one D was the way he described that depth chart there. It's four capable backs and it sounds like it's going to go committee. So just on that alone, it's hard to get a thousand yard back out of it um, in terms of who's going to become the top back. Oof. I mean, I want to see Yant now in his uh, in his slim down form. I thought that he had some real glimpses last year at times throughout the season. Ramir Johnson, I think, is more uh, – he'll be utilized more in the pass game. He's more of a speedster, smaller stature. I don't know that he's your your uh, you know your workhorse back or your bell cow, as you guys like to say. Um, maybe the spring star uh, or maybe Gabe, Ir- Gabe Irving. I know I'm not really giving a clear answer, but uh, I think each one has a specific skill set that's going to be utilized, but no 1,000-yard back. Mm. 
I wanted to bring up the, the gym in Minnesota the question. We've talked a little bit about the O-line already. He said, what are your thoughts on it? So we've talked about that, but what it, what it would need to do for them to finish second in the West. So you already have them finishing second. I guess to Jim's point there, what what, what do they need to do to finish second uh, where, you, where you're projecting yeah. them? Well, first off, great to hear from Jim. He's a longtime follower, a great guy, great football mind. Um, I'll say this, uh, Nebraska, they have to have a, a consistently strong run push, especially on first down. Look at the Wisconsin formula. They, they push hard on first down. They get ahead of the chains, and then it opens up the playbook. They can go play action off of it. They can go vertical shot. But Nebraska, so often, they get behind the chains, whether it's mm-hmm. a penalty or a, a negative play right off the start. Uh, and it's just it's, it's drive killers. So to finish second in the West, uh, you can whittle it down to just getting consistent run push, above average run push, uh, and winning first down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier the O-line, just you got to clean up penalties and, and the mistakes and that absolutely is true i want to show one last little video this one's 18 seconds long and this is also whipple yesterday but he's talking about the physicalness that's going on in the trenches right now on the o-line and the d-line you know donnie's done a good job those guys are, have been good they're fit we got physical guys i think really what i've seen is i think the defense is really taking a notch up on a defensive line so really competitive battles in the uh, inside runs and the outside runs those things so yeah i've got all the confidence in the world in those guys so that that is whether you're run the damn ball guy or not, uh, just physical football. That's something that uh, should perk up the ears, and and it's good to hear that coming from Whipple too. You know, since we know he all he wants to do is throw the ball, according to Narduzzi. But uh, you know, that hopefully there's going to be some physicalness with uh, with this team, both sides of the ball in the trenches, and and at, no matter what, if you're going to be successful in the Big Ten, we know that that's going to have to be part of it, uh, no matter what the scheme or style is. So. Yeah, and um, you can also take that advice, or I'm sorry, not advice, but those compliments and that praise, uh, Pretty, uh, it's pretty strong because he's coming from Pittsburgh where they were extremely physical last year. I mean, that defensive line the last couple of years has been the best in the country in terms of negative play rate, getting sacks, tackles for loss, always up there, a nasty front seven, and the offensive line was strong. So for him to say that uh, coming off of that backdrop, it might just be coach speak. You always got to be wary of that, but he sounded genuine there, and that's that's a positive plus for you guys. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you have anything else here? Well, I mean, there was one other comment here, and I just and again take it with a grain of salt because it's Jeffrey the Greek and he's an Iowa fan. But uh, it's a Jeffrey the Greek said the Husker Cuzcast that he wasn't as high on Mathis because of the big uh, big Big Ten West is such a run heavy conference. Uh, is it because of his accomplishment at TCU that you're so high on him, Brett? Or do you really think that it'll translate here to the Big Ten, what he did over there in the Big 12? Yeah, well, first off, shout out Jeffrey the Greek and Big Kurt, two uh, excellent Big Ten minds. They run the uh, eyes on big, and I spoke with Jeffrey. He knows his stuff. I mean, a former mm-hmm. Iowa player. Um, with this one, I'll push back a little bit. Um, I think the the old mantra that the Big 12 is a pass-heavy you know, shootout league that has gone a little bit away the last couple of years. Look at who was in the title. It's Baylor and Oklahoma State, and they were just power run. Um, Oklahoma is kind of also a misnomer where uh, they want to establish a run game. It's a powerful offensive uh, rushing attack uh, right up the middle. So I think it's more physical than they get credit for out there. And, um, yeah, it's definitely uh, statistically more of a running team or a running offense in the Big Ten West, but um, still a special talent. And uh, I think that he's going he's gonna to land on the all-Big Ten team still. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, Jeffrey's an Iowa fan too. So there is probably a bias there. He doesn't, I think he's speaking more for like not wanting him to be as good. Cause I think he's scared. Oh, 
Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, to go back to our defensive depth chart here, I mean, we've got Mathis and Tanner right now in an or situation. And I think to your point, Brett, I think Mathis can be all conference talent. I also, I can see where Greek is talking about that there's a transition, no matter what, there's going to be some transition coming here. And it's one of the reasons Mathis wanted to come and play in this conference in this division was to go against those offensive tackles that you're going to play in the Big Ten and to get that exposure um, that you see the defensive lineman getting drafted out of the Big 12 versus the Big Ten, and, and it, it's just not the same. I mean, this is a, a – a, it's a big opportunity for him to prove himself here. But but at the same token, yeah, I mean, I don't even have him as a guaranteed starter. It could be it could be Tanner out there, and Mathis maybe starting the season is coming off in, in pass rush situations. I, I don't know yet. We'll we'll find out as the, as the season gets going. But – I like the depth. I like the the players that they have, and uh, and um, I'm I'm a heck of a lot happier that we have Mathis than if we didn't. I'll tell you that. So yeah, it's a that was a that was a big pickup for us. Yeah, for but, sure. Well, do you have anything else there, uh, uh, Robin or Brett? Do you have anything that you want to talk about? We haven't we haven't touched on yet. This is typical Redcast and Brett. Man, we went an hour and a half. This isn't a radio show where you get fifteen minutes or whatever. So I, I love these long form uh, conversations we get with you no i agree i like doing the longer podcast too because i can i can really go deeper than uh than a 10 minute radio piece um and it's also logged and stored uh, rather than if you just happen to hit a radio hit in the car so uh, mm-hmm. i always love having you guys uh have me on it's always great discussions real in depth um and yeah i already gave a nice big shout out to the nebraska media uh nebraska fans at large uh, a ton of respect I, I'm currently looking into making it out there for a game. The Oklahoma game has caught my eye for basically the last 10 years. I mean, I'm very nostalgic with the old traditions of the sport, the old rivalries. Um, and in my formative years as a, as a college football fan, those were one and two, number one versus number two games, two straight years. It was uh, 2000 and 2001. So mm-hmm. you, can, you can understand that catching the eye of a youngster. Um, but no, uh, when they announced that game coming back, I, I circled it. And, I uh, thought I'd either make it out to Norman or to Lincoln for one of the two. So we'll see if that comes true. Logistically, you guys have sold out every hotel in the town, though. I was looking into it. My gosh. I don't know how you can even pull it off, but I'll, I'll look into it. And well, I we'll stay at Hotel we, Honky. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to help you out. If, if, if you can make your way out here, uh, we'll, we'll do whatever possible. And Redcasters, if you, you know of any hotels, anything, anything, we want Brett out here for that, uh, the Oklahoma game. That's I have one great. last question for Brett and that's coming from, from Scott McCone, longtime listener, uh, Redcast fan, friend of, friend of, uh, ours as well. Win loss prediction. All right. Just right off the top of your head, Nebraska win loss prediction. I'll go eight and four I'll right off the cuff. Um, you know, I mean, Oklahoma will be a toss up, but more shaded towards a loss, Michigan, a loss. Um, who else we got? Wisconsin, probably a loss. That gets you three losses right there. But I think they do pretty well against the Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue pack. Um, Illinois Northwestern should be W's. Uh, the FCS game is a W. And uh, I think I'm forgetting an Indiana opponent. Oh, yeah. Those two are W's. So um, I'm liking it right around eight and four as I talk it out. And, and you know, just how it is when you do win-loss predict- predictions, usually one com- a, lo- a loss comes out of, the, out of the woodwork when you least expect it. And I know you guys, you guys have seen that happen. Um, so I'll go with an eight and four and that's still probably good enough for second in the conference. Oh, well, hopefully so 15 hope, and oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully a, hopefully a W comes out of somewhere too. You know, I mean, we've, we've certainly handed, handed some of those out. Um, thank you, you so much, do. Brett. We really appreciate all your time and everything. Uh, you're a big Nebraska Oklahoma fan. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to 
give a little bit of promo to us. We did a show a couple weeks ago with Mike Babcock, who's a Husker historian with uh, Hale Varsity. And uh, we, two, well, in true Redcast form, two plus hours long, but it's uh, the Nebraska Oklahoma history of the series broken into four chunks. We've got, you know, audio from different games and throughout the years. So it's a lot of history built into it. So a lot of fun. If you get a chance, I'm going to put a link even to that into the description of this show here. Um, but uh, if you get a chance, if you have two extra hours laying around, I know you've been crazy busy. How many shows have you done, Brett, the last, you know, month now? How many radio and podcasts have you been well, on? Well, this is the fifth one I've been on today. So uh, it's been hectic. But now once the book hits published, I try and get, it, you know, get across the country as much as I can and um, appreciate you squeezing me in here on short notice. And also, I will say this, um, if, that, if that Oklahoma show is anything like your Colorado preview, I mean, that one, I tuned in. I was getting goosebumps listening to the old radio broadcast, the old mm-hmm. intros, got all the nostalgic music in there. I mean, you know, that was A+. Plus, and I'm sure with even more history with Oklahoma, that, that'll be a must-see. So, yep. and so this any is... Redcasters, definitely check that out. If That's you like, awesome. if you like you old for... radio broadcasts, so we also did a show with um... – Oh, the the Husker tapes yeah, guy, Paul Jake Jacobson. Paul, last Paul Jake week. Jacobson last week, and he was great, man. He had they had, we had some stuff from his that, that like from like the forties. Oh my yeah, gosh! And it was he, great. The announcing is perfect. So much Jumbo perfect. Stein era. Oh, oh yeah, we you actually your there favorite. was some Jumbo. We talked a lot about <laughs> Jumbo Stein on there as a as a matter of fact. So yeah, the 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 Oklahoma one was modeled off the Colorado show that we did because it's a rivalry show. But this one, it has the added value of the visual, too. So you can watch this one. It's not just this. You can listen to it also, but you can watch it. And we've got all that video. So anyways, thank you so much, Brett. This is your fifth show of the day. I'm sure you've got five tomorrow. Um, Redcasters, again, you can go to pick6previews.com to purchase the uh, actually brett you know how what all ways can people go and, and purchase the magazine number one is it go to uh, pick six previews.com or is there any other ways they can do it yeah thanks it's uh exclusively pick six previews.com it's uh, at pick six previews on twitter and uh again it's uh the first time ever going hard copy edition um that's that ships within three days and in the meantime you get the pdf sent immediately so it's kind of a combo deal for the yeah there's the picture there again that's pretty cool that's the the shipping truck that came in with all our books uh, those that batch has all been shipped out. We got more coming, so it's still available uh, for the hard copy. We still have the digital, and uh, yeah, on Pick6Previews.com, I have a couple sample teams. If you're curious what a page looks like, um, and some testimonials too. The College Game Day guys, Two Four Seven Sports, Josh Pate, uh, the ACC Network guys, plenty of them. And um, yeah, I've appreciated the praise from you guys too, and uh, Husker fans at large. I saw a lot of tweets coming out, so um, really appreciate it. And um, thanks for having me on. It's always a great talk. One of the one of the, the milestones of the preseason process, getting the, the Red Cast show in. It's Now I'm ready for kickoff, man. I mean, three short weeks to go. All right. Well, we are right at 100 minutes. We did it. We did it. We got 100 minutes of, uh, of Brett Stein there. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you so much, Redcasters. Go out, get yourself a, a copy of Pick 6 Previews. And uh, until next time, that's another Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. A Huda Media Production.